the Gospel of John. Can we find out the Yuehan Fuin? We would like to read, read mostly from there. Starting from chapter 1, verse 16. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 16. For of his fullness, and this is the fullness of the word, the fullness of our Lord Jesus. So again, for of his fullness, we have all received and grace upon grace. And then towards the end of the gospel in chapter 20, we want to read again uh, the end of chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. <laughs> Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. And we like to continue into chapter 21. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of, of his disciples were together. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We will also come with you. And they went out and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right hand side of the boat, and you'll find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. 
那时西门彼得四身，赤着身子，一听见是主，就束上一件外衣，跳在海里。Verse eight. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about one hundred yards away, dragging the net full of fish. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Two Verse 12, Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. This is not the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. 第四节，他们吃完了早饭。耶稣对西门彼得说：“约翰的儿子西门，你爱我比这些更深吗？”彼得说：“主啊，是的，你知道我爱你。”耶稣对他说：“你喂养我的小羊。” would like to read two more verses, one from the Old Testament and one from the Epistles. So if you would turn to Proverbs chapter 4 我们先翻到箴言箴言第六章二十三节四章二十三节箴言四章二十三节箴言四章二十三节 over your hearts with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. And finally, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, 
Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. 原来在基督耶稣里，受割礼不受割礼，全无受受割礼，全无功效，唯独使人使使人使人生发人爱的信心才有功效。As probably most of you know, we have been occupied for uh, probably close to a year and a half with this matter of sonship in our Sunday morning messages. 我们过去这一年半的时间。都一直在分享这个主题，就是儿子的名分。And I felt led in the last time I shared with you to share with on this matter from the perspective of the Gospel of John.那我上次就是有这个负担，想要从约翰福音的这个角度来分享。But in a very specific and narrow way in that Gospel.但是在这个福音书里面，从一个很特别的一个角度来看。I would like us to continue to consider. The matter of the fullness of our Lord Jesus, as revealed in the Gospel of John.那我继续想要分享到主耶稣的丰富，特别是在约翰福音书里。And how this matter of His fullness is so directly related with our sonship.那这个丰满是怎么样直接与我们的儿子的名分是有关系的？I would like to just recap, and I feel so. Our brother Dana has been sharing also from the Gospel of John. He has been concentrating more on the aspect of the glory of God as revealed in the person of our Lord Jesus through this Gospel. Also in relation with our sonship. So I think there is uh, quite a bit of overlap here. And yet I would like to uh, perhaps refresh your memory for those who heard me the first time. Uh, I would like to remind you of some of those principles. Why am I saying that fullness is such a central thought in the Gospel of John? And how does this relate to our sonship? So of course, by now you've been really familiar with the fact that the Gospel of John has a, a kind of a framework. The structure of the Gospel has a framework through which the fullness of the Lord Jesus is being revealed. And that framework is, of course, eight signs that were specifically selected by John, led by the Holy Spirit. And through those signs, we can see the fullness of Christ. Actually, when you go through those signs, every single one of them reveals one aspect of the fullness of our Lord Jesus. And that should be no surprise. Because as we just read in the prologue of the Gospel, 
In those first 18 verses that are kind of an introduction of everything else to come, right there concluding the prologue, you, you find that amazing statement. That of his fullness, of the fullness of Christ, we have all received and grace upon grace. It is my deep impression that every time I read this, those eight signs, I see something of that fullness in Christ which we receive in His person. Now, brothers and sisters, I feel it's important to, rem- to remind all of us, starting from myself, this matter of the fullness of the Lord Jesus, as revealed here, is not simply given to us as a matter of theological truth about His person. You know what? When people systematize the study of the Bible, and there is nothing wrong with that, uh, let, let me be very, very clear about it. But then, one of the fields of study in the Bible is Christology, the person of our Lord Jesus. So, of course, in the Gospel of John, you find plenty material in, in understanding the person of the Lord Jesus. And there are several books in the Bible that will reveal the fullness of Christ. Yeah, Colossians, for instance. Of course, the Epistle to the Hebrews. You have the Gospel of John. But every time we consider that, we have to remind ourselves, what is the reason why the Holy Spirit has given us such revelation of the fullness of Christ? If we stop at that as simply a matter of theological truth about His person, we miss the point. If we make it a matter of academic pursuit, we fall short from the, inten- the divine intention to revealing the fullness of His Son. And wonderfully, the prologue of the Gospel already states very plainly and clearly why the Lord is revealing to us the fullness. For of His fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. 
that fullness is for you and me to enter in, to experience, to live by His person. Now, our brother Dana, uh, I find it so helpful that the, what he has been sharing with us, specifically on the Gospel of John. And one of the things that I feel connects directly with this matter of his fullness, one of the things our brother has been reminded several times is when the gospel was written. So it's interesting because you have the New Testament. And we have a certain, the books are placed in a certain order. So you have the Gospels first, and then Acts, and then the Epistles, then Revelation. And because the subject of the book of John is about the historical person of Christ, maybe our minds are, maybe are drawn to think that perhaps this account was given to us at the very beginning of the New Testament period, or is one of perhaps the first writings of the New Testament? But to your surprise, it's actually quite the opposite. The writings of John they're the very last writings in the whole of the New Testament and of course the whole of the Bible. In fact, several scholars believe that the Gospel of John was written even after the book of Revelation. And if that is the case, the Gospel of John would be something that we should place in the last decade of the first century AD. In the 90s AD. Now, dear saints, I personally feel that that is extremely extremely significant to all of us. Because as our brother has been reminded us, that is the period of time that historically it is the time that if you want to see what is the condition of the church at that time, you have to turn to Revelation 2 and 3. And we know that unfortunately Something, some sort of spiritual declension took place in the church. When we read the book of Acts, what a wonderful, glorious beginning the church had. There are, in fact, rivers of living water flowing, and whatever that river touches, there is life, there is salvation, there is building up. How about just two generations after that wonderful beginning, 
just to give you the, the historical timeline, the, the birth of the church happens, of course, just 50 days after our Lord Jesus dies on the cross. And that is 30 AD. And the book of Acts closes around in the early 60s AD, just 30 some years after that wonderful beginning. Now, what is the condition of the church just one generation after the close of the book of Acts. Unfortunately, we cannot see, as our brother has been emphasizing, we cannot see that glory that we see so clearly in the beginning. To, some church, to one church, our Lord says, you have to repent and go back to your first love. To another, our Lord has to say, you have a name of one who lives, but in, in reality, you're dead. To another, our Lord has to say, you think you're rich, you think you're so sufficient, and yet you're poor, wretched, miserable. Unfortunately, you could say that the level of life, of his life in the church, is not where it should be. Just one generation after the close of the book of Acts. And it's then, at that juncture, that the Apostle John writes this gospel. Why? Why such gospel at such juncture? And we could say the following. It seems as if God has a medicine God has something very specific every time that the level of the life of the Lord Jesus in the church is not what it ought to be. When our experience of Him goes low, the Father has a very specific remedy to counter that state of affairs. What does he do? He reveals more of his son. He will give us a fuller revelation of how full the Lord Jesus is. And the intention is not just that we may gain extra knowledge about how full our Lord Jesus is. But that revelation is given to us that we may experience 
his fullness. You could say that at the end of the first century AD, the church is quite empty. And this is, of course, is something completely abnormal. Paul says in Ephesians that the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is his body. The, the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's alright. But the question is this Can we say, in all honesty, that that is a reality when you read the seven? Letters to the seven churches in Revelation. Unfortunately, the picture is of emptiness. Thank God. He has a medicine. Whenever we experience that, He has a very specific remedy. He will reveal more of His Son. You could say that the Gospel of John, surprisingly, is a Gospel to the Church. But why for the Church? And of course, you know that the Gospel of John, probably most of you, I am one of them, or many of us, we were saved through some verse in the Gospel of John. So when I say that this is the Gospel to the Church, that is not to imply that the Lord is not going to use it to save people. Most likely, is the Gospel from which more verses are, can, people can testify, yes, I was saved through a verse in John. But perhaps in the divine intention, this wonderful writing, the Gospel of John, is given to us, to believers in the Lord Jesus, for us to know what kind of fullness is in Him, and for us to enter into that fullness. How do we enter into that voice? We know from the conclusion of the gospel there is a very specific way in which we enter into the fullness of the Lord Jesus. When John explains why he wrote the gospel, he states it extremely. Clearly, he says, you know, Jesus did many other songs. But I've written a few. And these were written that you may believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God. 
And believing you may have life in his name. The signs given to us revealing a person. I hope we never miss that point. It's not a revelation simply of what he does. No. The signs are supremely a revelation of who he is. Maybe some of you are saying, hmm, but the signs are, he's doing something in the signs. It's true. But you see, everything he does in those signs is out, proceeds out of who he is and himself. He feeds a multitude because later he says, I am the bread of life. And to make this very, very practical, the gospel to the church, sometimes, brothers and sisters, we are just like living like as if we are in the book of Judges. I remember a dear brother Christian at some point one of those many many sentences that just stuck with you and he explained the book of Judges with one sentence he said the people was in the land but the land was not in the people because you remember the story for instance in the story of Gideon for instance they had those wonderful crops what happened at the end the Midianites would come would take it all and that's it everybody was starving brothers and sisters isn't it true that sometimes we belong to him there is no question about that you know it but sometimes we may find ourselves in some sort of spiritual starvation oh the fullness of the Lord is the answer for you and I to enter in and the way to enter in is very very specific and very simple the signs point to this wonderful person our Lord Jesus in all his fullness and when you believe in him you have life in his name well let me just remind you one thing because before you say you're talking to the wrong audience here I already believed in the Lord 10 years ago 20 years ago a week ago, whatever it is. I want to remind you of that little preposition that specifically John uses every time he refers to believe in the Lord. John doesn't say believe in. That's, that's not what is there in the Greek. 
In the Greek, he, the, the preposition is believe into the Lord. And of course, that into is a preposition that it seems to give you a picture or convey the idea of something that is dynamic, something that you're entering, as if you're entering into a wide land. And it's not just a first step, it's not going to do it. Oh, I forgot I have it. You need to believe it's something dynamic. And that's the nature of believing in the Lord Jesus in the Christian life. Yes, it's very true. You have believed initially, and that has settled your position before God. Your salvation was secured in that single day that you believed in the Lord Jesus. Thank God for that. But after that, did you know that we are called to believe progressively into the one that feels all in all. He is so vast that one act of faith will never exhaust all that is in him for us to experience. And these signs, which are a revelation of the fullness of our Lord Jesus, they are given to us that we may believe into all the fullness. The idea of a continual, progressive, ever increasing act of faith in our world. And what is the result of believing into the Lord? You will experience life in His name. Now, it's not a question that you didn't have life already in Him. That's not what is in view here. We trust that we, most of us here in this room, if not all of us, we have one day believed in Him and received His life in us. But the question here is that as we believe progressively, specifically in some extra aspect of that fullness of our Lord Jesus, we experience more of that life in His name. As we said last time, do you see that this is directly related with this matter of sonship? So, several brothers already have explained wonderfully this matter of sonship. Which is a kind of a, a not very common word. You don't, we don't use it on day to day. But the meaning of the word is very simple and extremely practical. Because sonship refers to the growth 
of that life that was given to us until we become mature sons of God. See, according to the Gospel of John, what is that process that will lead you to be a mature son of God? Very simply, you are given a Lord that is so full. And you learn how to believe into Him and to appropriate increasingly of more of the fullness in your experience. Then you grow unto maturity. I just think I, I want to read another verse from, from Ephesians. Just to make the connection. Hopefully a little clearer. Ephesians chapter 4. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge in the original of the full knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Uh, and in this so familiar, wonderful verse, Paul is stating that we are in a journey, if I can put it in very simple language. See, he's saying, until we obtain, we are in motion towards a certain destiny here. And twice in this wonderful verse, he, he makes an allusion to the fullness of Christ. So if I may read what it would be the if you translate the Greek words, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the full knowledge of the Son of God. And then he continues. To a mature man, that's our destiny. That is the journey in which the Father places us when we first believe in the Lord. So the second half of the verse, until we, we attain to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. See, let me put it very simply. When you and I were saved, the, the Father has given us the treasure of this universe, the Son of God, who is full. Full. 
Now let me ask you, would it make any sense for you to receive this full person and spend your whole life and just come to know a tiny little bit of him? Maybe you know that your sins were forgiven. Thank God for that. I believe every son of God, every child of God, the most simple one, understands that yes, I was forgiven. Thanks God. He died on the cross for me. Now I was forgiven. But you see that that salvation is just the beginning of this wonderful journey in which God desires that we may come to know all that is in His Son. Of course, when you read this chapter, the full picture is that none of us can individually ever get into all of the fullness that is in Christ. It takes the whole body to somehow grow into the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And yet, at the same time, there is an individual aspect to this wonderful, wonderful calling. Each one of us is supposed to enter into more of our Lord Jesus. Now, I, I just want to use, this was my recap, right? And our time is essentially God. <laughs> but I just want to call your attention to the last of those eight signs that reveal the fullness of our Lord. Because in many, many ways, there is something absolutely wonderful and essential in this last sign, the eighth sign, which is in chapter 21. I mentioned already to you that there is something a little, you may, at, at, at first, at face value, you can think, well, this is a little odd, because John concludes his book at the end of chapter 20. And then he goes ahead and writes a whole, a whole other chapter, which is chapter 21. But dear brothers and sisters, I believe there is a very, very important reason for that to be so. It's almost as if when John concludes at the end of chapter 20, and says, I've written this signs that you may believe he's the Son of God, and believe he may have life in his name. It is almost as if he knows that there is something essential that still has to be said. And without that, something will not exactly work, if I can use that word. You may say that believing in the Lord is the key 
to enter into his fullness. That's what he says in that conclusion of the gospel. Faith substantiates those things that are hoped for. It's faith that will make that fullness that is in him real in your experience. But when we continue into chapter 21, we discover that there is an extra key in this matter of experiencing our Lord Jesus. And it's the matter of love. Peter, do you love me? We know that the whole story somehow converges to that challenge of our Lord Jesus to Peter. Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, brothers and sisters, I just want to... Sometimes we may read things without quite realizing some implications. For instance, we read in this wonderful story that seven disciples, they decide to go fishing. Well, Peter is the one deciding and, and the other six are going along with him. One of them is Thomas. But you remember, in chapter 20, a few verses before that wonderful conclusion, that I'm calling the conclusion of the gospel, but a few verses before you have the account of that wonderful conversation between the risen Lord and Thomas. Remember how our Lord appeared to the the eleven? Well, there were ten gathered in that in that room, and Thomas was not there. And this was on the very Sunday of our Lord's resurrection. Thomas, unfortunately, he didn't get to see that. And we are all familiar with the story. The disciples tell him, We saw the Lord. And he says, No way. If I don't, if I don't see, if I don't touch, I'll never believe. And you remember how seven days later, in the next Lord's Day, the disciples are gathered again, and Thomas now is there. And our Lord Jesus appears to them. Peace be with you again. And our Lord says to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger on my, on my, on my hand. Put your hand on my side. And you remember what was Thomas' reaction? How he cries, My Lord, my God. My Lord, my God. Brothers and sisters, now think about it. 
all those disciples, they were witnesses of this wonderful fact. And there is no question that they all had believed. Now they understand, yes, he died even for me. He is my Lord, He is my God. I feel that Thomas there is just being a spokesperson for all of them. Now, isn't it somehow curious, interesting, that just a couple of days after that, you find all of that group, or it's actually some of them, right? They're somehow discouraged, distracted, and they're going in the wrong direction. Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the rest says, okay, let's go with it. These are exactly those same disciples that already saw the risen Lord. And already, I believe all of them are saying what Thomas is saying. My Lord, my God. And yet, in this wonderful story in chapter 21, we learn that there is something in their hearts that is still distracted. There is some level of something divided in their hearts. And because of that, they say, well, I'm going fishing. Of course, you remember how our Lord Jesus, three years before, had already called Peter and, and Andrew and John and, and James and said, Come after me and I'll make you fisher of men. And how that they wonderfully obeyed that commandment and left everything behind and followed the Lord. And yet, sadly, we find them here. After meeting the risen Lord, after knowing so much of Him and experiencing so much of Him, we still find them distracted and their hearts somewhat divided. Brothers and sisters, it seems that the Lord is using this occasion to teach them and all of us an extremely important lesson. It doesn't matter how much we have experienced the Lord so far. This is something that is a problem a risk for all of us. And here our Lord is somehow in His wonderful, patient, and long-suffering way. He is the one, did you notice, taking all the initiative in this story to reveal Himself and to bring Him, bring them back to Him. Did you realize that the very beginning, the very first verse of our chapter says, after these things, Jesus 
manifested himself again to the disciples. Yes, to disciples that believe in him, and yet somehow their hearts are still divided, are still distracted. Our Lord Jesus is the one taking the initiative to again manifest himself, reveal himself, draw them back to him. And a wonderful lesson, dear saints, that our Lord is teaching these disciples, and I feel all of us, and this is a lesson we do not graduate from, is, oh, to learn the emptiness, the futility of our own natural life, of our own independent life that so often says, you know what, I'm going to do this, and we go ahead. Here you find Peter, that wonderful brother, somehow distracted, somehow discouraged, and going in the wrong direction, and, and the others just cannot help themselves. They just go with him. And thank the Lord for that completely useless night that they had. It sounds like I'm being mean to them, right? Because they had a terrible night. They caught nothing. But brothers and sisters, isn't it true that so often the Lord is doing the same with us? He will let us go in the wrong direction. And at the end of it, we realize how empty is all of this. Actually, this reminds me of the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities. Brothers and sisters, that's what best describes our natural lives apart from the Lord. And the truth is that all of us, even after being saved, we still have the capacity of doing things based on our natural lives. Oh, thank the Lord for those fruitless, long nights when nothing is cut. Perhaps our Lord is speaking to them, to their hearts, reminding them, apart from me, you can do nothing. And this is one of the lessons that we find here. And yet, the more we read the story, and the way it progresses, we are convinced that somehow at the crux of the whole matter is this matter of our hearts. Something seems to be not quite right in the hearts of those disciples. There is some sort of division, some sort of, I mean, division in their hearts that is leading them in a wrong direction. 
那好像他们心里有什么不对，好像有点分心，为什么让他们走错了方向？Isn't it so significant that our Lord, the question He asked to Peter is, "Do you love me more than these?"那不是很有趣？我们主的问题说，你爱我比这些更深吗？Of course, we know that the heart is the seat of our love. Is the seat or the 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 place from where our love will emanate. We read a verse from Proverbs that always uh, it's to me such a tremendous warning. I really like a translation of that verse in Proverbs 4.23 that reads, Above all else, keep your heart, because out of it there proceeds the springs of life. 4.23 I'm not sure what is your translation. But whatever it is, the idea is that the thing that we have to guard the most above everything else is our heart. Do you see why? If there is a problem in our hearts that will block our experience, that will prevent us from experiencing our Lord. So on the one hand, you could say, yes, faith is the key for us to experience. Believing you have life in His name. But then you learn that there is an extra key to this matter, which is our heart, our love. Who do we love more than anything else? When there is some sort of something out of place in our hearts, something will go wrong with those springs of life. And I think this is a very pictorial, something very graphic in that verse. Because when you're looking at a stream, sometimes you may think, well, there is, you look at a stream and let's say that the water is not that crystal clear. If the water is muddy in that stream that you're seeing, it's completely useless to try to fix the problem downstream. Because the real solution is always going to be in the spring, in the source of that stream. And what Proverbs chapter 4 tells us that the source of that life in either a positive or a negative direction is always in our heart. If our heart is divided, if our heart has a problem, something muddy, 
something that is not crystal clear will go downstream. 那你如果是分心的，或是什么不纯洁的话，你这个水出来之后，你就是不洁的往下流。Above all else, keep your heart. 胜过一切，你要保守你的心。And you see, it seems as if our Lord is bringing Peter and the disciples just back to that very wonderful key. Peter, do you love me more than these? 那好像。主就带着彼得要回到这个最原始的原则里面，你爱我胜过这一切吗？ Now there is something kind of uh, very interesting about how to translate. Do you love me more than these? 那你爱我更深，你有翻译的方法是很有趣的。In in most translations that I check, you see that the idea is, Peter, do you love me more than these other people around here? 那翻译的感觉是好像你爱我。and as a matter of fact, the original Greek, which I understand virtually zero of that, but thank the Lord for those wonderful brothers that help us with, with Greek and all that. But in the original Greek, it's the translation, it's very, it's, uh, you could say almost ambiguous. It's, you cannot pinpoint what is the D's here referring to. It seems that many translators, because they have perhaps the scene of in the upper room, when our Lord, when Peter is saying to the Lord, if everybody else here denies you, I will never deny you. Many translators seem to have that as the background. And now the Lord will be asking Peter, Peter, do you really, are you so sure that you love me more than these as you have referred to, you said you had asserted before? But as a matter of fact, in the Greek, you cannot 100% say that is what the Lord means. Other scholars, they propose something different. You remember how the, they just had that wonderful fishing, that 153 fishes, and they brought them to the, to, to the beach. And our Lord is offering them a breakfast. So around them, they have all those things there, the fish, the net, and perhaps our Lord is asking Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these things? Our story actually begins with Peter saying, I'm going fishing. And as you know, that used to be his profession until our Lord Jesus called him to follow him. So one understanding here is our Lord will be asking to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than your earthly occupation? Dear saints, it's, it's so interesting. It would be so wonderful sometimes we think if the Lord called us to live in a monastery when we are completely away from the world and there is no distractions, Nothing that kind of divides our heart. 
那你如果感觉到呃很奇怪，如果我们主呼召我们到这个修道院里面去，然后与世界完全隔离的话，是如何？And yet the Lord didn't do that。但是我们主没有呼召我们。We still have our earthly occupations。我们还是有呃这个属世的我们的职位。We still have earthly things that we have to tend to。那我们还有属世的事情我们要解决。And yet the Lord is always going to ask us, do you love me more? I hope that by the grace of the Lord He can impress something upon our hearts about the importance of this lesson, this very last sign. To me, it speaks volumes. It's almost as if it, it goes to say, if you don't learn this, there will be something that prevents you from experiencing the Lord. If there is a divided heart in us, I know what a challenge that is, dear saints. But when, the, when there is, there is something there that will be a blockage. The issues or the springs of life are somehow polluted. 那你如果有什么事情不解，或是你的心不纯的话，会会拦阻你能够更深的认识进入我们的主里面。It is wonderful to me that in that verse that we read in Galatians, Paul makes a a very eye-opening statement. Of course, it's by the Spirit. It's revelation. I shouldn't say a statement. 我们在加拉太书的时候，我觉得是非常的奇妙。He says, and I'm just focusing on the last part, faith. Which operates or works through love. See, when you read the conclusion of the gospel, you would say, Believing in the Lord is all I need. If I believe in Him, I'll have life in His name, I'll experience all His fullness. Thank the Lord, that is very true. But you see, to believe in Him, to have that faith, that all He works. A translation would be, it's faith which is activated, it's energized by love. Peter, do you love me more than these? I just want to share a last thought with you. Sometimes, very personally, I have to say, this seems something almost impossible. How can I be in this world and be engaged in stuff that requires so much of your attention, of your concentration, of your energy, and truly say to the Lord, I love you more than this? Dear brothers and sisters, there is a, a wonderful detail in this story. But I feel that is yet another key for us to really take this matter correct. Did you realize that before our Lord asks Peter that question, do you love me more than these? Our Lord invites those disciples to have a meal with him. Before he ever asks any question, he says, Come, eat. And he gives them bread. He gives them fish. 
Dear saints, I, I cannot help but think that probably the mind of these disciples was brought back to that day, that wonderful day when our Lord Jesus had fed all those 5,000. And our Lord, after feeding them, our Lord says, I am the bread of life. But now remember, now is after his death and resurrection. He's feeding them again. I wonder if now these disciples understand, yes, he is the bread of life. He has offered himself on that cross to become our, our food. And your saints, my impression is that ever before our Lord asks us, Do you love me? He's going to remind you of what kind of love He has shown for you and for me. Even when we come to this table, Every Lord's Day, by His grace, we are reminded of what kind of eternal love He has shown for us. Come, eat. May the love of Christ constrain us, and that we may be able, by His grace, to answer Him. Yes, Lord. Even if our answer is, Lord, I don't have that supreme love for You, but I still love You. May the Lord be gracious to us. Let's have a couple of prayers as the Lord leads before we close.